0: So in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 35 through 41. We don't, we're not really good with titles, you know. We, little ships on stormy seas or weathering the storms of life. You just come up with your own title here. Mark 4 verse 35, And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side when they had sent away the multitude they took him even as he was in the ship and there were also with him other little ships and there arose a great storm of wind the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him master carest thou not that we perish. He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that this evening we can take the time to look into this wonderful passage. We pray, Lord, that you will just give us insight, help us to trust you more. Know that no matter what takes place in our life, you certainly are a great guide, and you're the one that we want to be the pilot of our vessel. Lord, we honor you this evening, in Jesus' name, Amen if you like hymns you're probably familiar with that great hymn it is well with my soul the story behind its writing is really somewhat moving and it bears restatement again there's a gentleman by the name of horatio spafford who was connected with dl moody the evangelist and also with someone by the name of ira sankey who's a musician some meetings were being held over in England, and Mr. Spafford wanted to go over there and go on vacation with his family. So he, he put his wife and his daughters, four daughters, on a ship going over there. He ended up having to stay because of some business appointment that came up at the last minute. Somehow or another, while the wife and the children were sailing, they vessel. French vessel collided with a Scottish iron sailing vessel, and within 12 minutes, the ship went down. Well, once the collision had taken place, the wife, Mrs. Spafford, had brought her daughters up on the top deck, and they got down on their knees, and they prayed, asking for God to intervene in some way. Well, when it was all over, and by the time they were rescued and she was able to get to where she was originally going some nine days later, her husband, who had only discovered about the collision because of the kids that were walking through the streets yelling, extra, extra, read all about it, as they did in those days. And the kid was speaking about the vessel that went down. He quickly bought the paper, realized his... Wife and children were on there, and he was frantic, just wondering what happened. When he finally got word, his wife cabled him from abroad, and the only two words in the message were, saved alone. He lost four daughters in that. Well, he didn't want his wife to be there alone, so he immediately booked passage on the next vessel, went over there, and being a person of means and a little bit of money, The captain was kind enough to tell him as they were sailing, this is the approximate place where your wife and daughter's vessel would have gone down. And it was there as he was sailing over that area that he began to write those words to that song, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Well, none of us can even imagine how difficult a situation that is. But it does help us to understand there are some situations in life that are so great, so big, that some additional help is needed. That's what we have in that kind of a story. I think for each one of us, as we sail along in our own ship of experience across the the seas of life, sometimes there are storms you can go through where it seems like you're running around doing everything you can to patch up the holes because the water is coming in too much and everything's just going haywire and you don't know how you're gonna see your way out of that. And there are very few things in life that make a person feel as bad as when they get that sinking feeling. You think you're going down. Anytime you have a situation in your life where you sense there's a you sense a loss of control. Because we are control freaks and we do like to manipulate our circumstances. But anytime we're in a position where we feel like things are out of control, that's not a good feeling to have. I remember the story of Paul in Acts chapter 27. He was a captive on his way to Rome and the scripture makes it very plain that when they launched out in that trip headed to Rome, everything was calm, everything was fine, but then suddenly the weather changed. And according to Acts chapter 27... It says here that Paul admonished the people in verses 9 and 10. He said, Sir, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and damage, not only of the lading and the ship, but also of our lives. He could foresee this trouble. He saw there's going to be difficulty in this particular journey. Well, verse 13 speaks about the south, soft, the south wind blowing softly and usually... Not always, but certainly there are times when there's a calm before a storm arises. This storm that attacked Paul, or that, 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 that came upon these people on this vessel, these people went nearly 14 days without eating. They went days without seeing the sun, the moon, or the stars. Paul had to convince these people to eat something, but he was comforted by the fact Acts 27, verse 23, an angel stood by him and told him the previous night, said, now look, uh, everybody who stays in the boat with you is going to survive. And he told all of them, 276 people. If you stay with me, you'll all live. And if you've ever read the end of Acts chapter 27, you know it says that some of these people, it says some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship, they floated to safely, but all made it to land. That's a pretty bad storm. It says this storm was so bad that the people were wondering how they were going to survive, and the, the front part of the, the vessel stuck inside of some mud, and it was in a place where the two seas came together. And So fierce and so strong and violent were the, the waters that the back part of the ship, broke off and the centurion or the captain wanted to kill all of the prisoners and it's at that point that they withheld their hand from killing him now now here's the thing if you have the expectation that you're going to live and you have a reason to live then it's a whole lot easier to continue in life Paul already heard from the angel that he wasn't going to die, but he was going to live. Once God begins to deal with your heart that way, then it really doesn't matter how bad the storm is because you understand that God is going to preserve you. That's the key. And Daniel goes down into the lion's den. God allows the snarling lion to come close enough to be right there upon him. But he brings Daniel out of the lion's den because Daniel has prophecies that has to come out of his heart and out of his mouth. And so it is in this story right here. It's a bad storm that comes upon the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus and the disciples can't die because the church has to be born. There has to be a church that goes into the uttermost parts of the earth and proclaims the gospel. There has to be someone to preach the kingdom of God. So even though the difficulty is there, we still have to understand that the will of God is going to be accomplished even though the presence of the storm seems great. Mark chapter 4, Jesus has spent the day teaching the parables. He stood by the seaside in Mark chapter 4 verse 1 and a great multitude was there and this was the kind of a man who when he taught, everybody didn't understand what he was saying, because he didn't speak plainly, according to some of them. They said, why are you always speaking to us in Proverbs and parables and telling all of these stories with these hidden meanings? Talk to us plainly. Well, Jesus said in John 16, 25, that there is coming a day when I'll speak to you plainly, but for right now, you will hear what I have to say in Proverbs, you have to listen to what I'm saying. But Jesus gave us illustrations that were common to the ordinary person. And so he begins in Mark chapter four. He says, listen, he said, a, a man or a woman went forth to sow seed like a gardener. And he said, some of it fell on the wayside. So the birds were quite happy. They came along and they gobbled up some of the seeds. He said he kept on going. He sold some seed on the stony ground. And he said, there on the concrete, he said, it sprung up real fast, but as soon as the heat from the sun hit it, because it didn't have any deep roots, it just withered away. He said, but then some seed was cast amongst the thorns, and it also sprung up. It's not that it died. It's just that the thorns were so great and the, the vegetation was so thick that it choked it so it couldn't bear any fruit, even though it was still a living thing. Then he said, the sower cast some on the good ground. And then that brought forth 30, 60, 100 fold. He tells them later on, he said, look, the seed is the word of God. You've got to determine what kind of ground you're going to put the word of God in. And if the seed is the word of God, that means that every time the word of God is taught, whether it's me listening or you listening, you essentially are a garden. You're essentially some kind of soil. You've got to determine what kind of soil you're going to be are you going to be like the wayside? And as Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, if you hear the word of God, are you then going to allow the devil to come and take the word of God that's been sown in your heart? So that during the church service or during the Bible study, you feel strong, you feel like you can believe God, you're encouraged by the Lord, but then you step out of church and you go home and you go to your job and then all of a sudden the devil robs you of the very thing God has planted in your heart. But then he also had spoken about that that Stony ground. There are people who love God to the point that they're happy with the Lord until trouble comes. Dig a deep root for your life. Dig a deep root. So that when the the, the problems of this world come upon you and bear upon your life, you won't be the kind of flimsy believer who just falls apart and walks away from God. So then you also have the thorns. God's word can be planted in your heart. And it'll grow, but the cares and affairs of this world will choke out the fruit of the Spirit from developing in your life. I mean, just push it and, and, and strangle it to the point that you cannot bear fruit in your individual Christian life. And this is why some people say, well, I feel like I've been serving God for years, but I just, I'm just not growing as a Christian. Sometimes the things of this world can do that. Or you can allow yourself to be good ground. That's going to really produce. Now, the one thing you will learn in looking at these parables, Jesus is very fond of using this this agriculture because he goes on and says in verse number 26, the kingdom of God is like a man casting a seed into the ground. Then he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he goes to sleep and then he wakes up and he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he doesn't understand how the harvest is growing. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. You don't have to do anything. A farmer doesn't have to do anything. You gardeners don't have to do anything but put seed in good ground and make sure it's watered. And it's going to produce of itself. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to go out there and do a rain dance over it. You don't have to go out there and talk to it. All you have to do is just go to sleep and get up and go to sleep and get up. And it's going to produce. That's what Jesus said. So we learn quickly that the kingdom of God is supposed to be a producing and reproducing enterprise in the earth it reproduces after its own kind Christians create Christians believers create believers unbelievers create unbelievers that's the law that's the teaching the reproduction of its own kind okay well if if Jesus has taken the time to to deal with this kind of teaching, then somewhere along the line, if you spend all day teaching, there has to be a point where you rest. You can't go on all day just talking. Even though we do know one time Jesus taught for three days, and the people stayed with him and didn't even eat. And you remember how he didn't want to send them away fasting, and he multiplied the fish and the bread. That's a pretty long sermon, don't you think? Yeah, that's a pretty long sermon teaching session i've told you before if i started on a tuesday night at 7 p.m i I just i have a hard time believing 7 a.m all of you still be here the next morning but jesus had a crowd that didn't want to leave so even he a god anointed spirit-filled individual god in the flesh had to rest he had to rest so weariness doesn't leave any of us alone. Doesn't matter how anointed you are, how much work you do for the kingdom of God, everybody becomes tired. John chapter 4 says Jesus sat on the well and uh, he was in Samaria because he was weary. And then a lady came along, and then he witnessed to that lady there at the well. Well, notice here in verse number 25, he says to his disciples, Okay, let us pass over to the other side. We're gonna do this together. I'm not going without you. You're not going without me. Us represents plurality. We're all going to go. There's an objective here. This is where we are right now, but we're going to the other side. He knows that further ministry lays ahead. And the scripture then tells us he sent the multitude away, but some other people didn't want to leave. They climbed in the boats just like he and his disciples did, and they followed him, these other little ships. Now, these are wise folks. Anybody wise enough to follow the Lord, I would say, has wisdom. No doubt about it. Are you that wise? Would you follow the Lord wherever he leads? Put it another way, would you go wherever he directed you to go? Because there are a lot of people whose boats have been stuck in port for a lot of years. A lot of years. God deals with their heart about going here, going there, doing this, doing that. But they don't listen to what the Lord says at all. But, but there are times when the Lord is able to bring something or permit that boat to enter into something that causes the people on the boat to pull up the anchor, unties the ropes. And sometimes after the storm, there are people who are now willing to sing that song, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Jesus over mountains and plains and seas, and I'll say what you want me to say, O Lord, and I'll be what you want me to be. Jonah knows what that is. He tried to run from God. This Bible is full of sea stories going back to Noah's ark, considering the one we're looking at now, Paul's voyage, you see. This book has these stories in here, and, and we can learn a lot from them because all of our lives go through different kinds of storms. But the, the, the way we build the ship has everything to do whether or not we'll survive the attack that the adversary actually brings upon us. So here are people that have decided they are going to sail with the Lord. That's the key. They want to be in his presence, these other little ships. So here comes the storms, and they beat into the ship so that the ship was now full you're doing everything you can to fix it doing everything you can to repair it and it seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse the disciples were there i don't know what all they had trying to use to get the water out of it but i'm sure at some point they understood this is a terribly terribly hard thing to do now some some storms are so bad i don't care how good a swimmer you are you're not going swim through these you're gonna need god to help you through these that is what happened in this instance i'm sure i've told people before about growing up in cleveland ohio city boy never did learn how to swim until i had to go into the military and then going into boot camp these People heard 80-some-odd recruits in from our platoon. Then all these other platoons are there. It's an Olympic-sized swimming to, swimming pool. And so I'm sitting there, and the drill instructor says to the people, individually, because it's alphabetical order, starting with A. I'm glad my last name started with S. And and they say, now, look, you're going to climb up that ladder. You're going to walk out there on that, that uh, we're going to call it that, Yang plank, we're going to say that. You're going to to walk out there, you're going to put 10 toes over the edge, then you're going to take a 30 inch step, you're going to come down hit that water, and then you're going to come up and you're going to swim all the way to the other side. So you're going to swim on top of the water, then you're going to do a backstroke, we want to see you butterfly, all these different things you've got to do from here to there. And so all these people are going up there and they're jumping, and I mean, I'm just sitting there and just just shaking and just trembling, because I know this is not going to be pretty at all. And and sure enough, I got up there to the top, and I put 10 toes over the edge, and that drill instructor said, "Okay, recruit sudden, take a 30-inch step, go straight down in the water, swim to the other side. I was frozen in place. That drill instructor said, recruit sudden, don't make me come up there. Well, I took that 30-inch step. I went straight down into that water, Went to the bottom of the pool, curled up in a ball and just said, I'm not leaving this place till somebody comes down here and gets me. So after about 30, 45 seconds, the drill instructor see me curled up in a ball. All of these bodies are diving into the water to pull me out. And, of course, they get me out of the water and take me back in the locker room. And they're yelling and screaming and cussing and calling me, everything you can possibly think. And so then I had to go and spin Five days in swim training platoon, which is eight hours a day in the water. The only time you get to come out of the water is for the restroom break and to eat. Well, by the time I came out of that, came through that, oh, I swim like a dolphin now if I want to. I mean, everything, everything's fine now. But, but the thing is, if you have a fear of that water, it's hard to relax, you know. You can't do anything about it at all. Well, imagine then if, if, if you've ever had to jump into the ocean. See? I had to jump into the ocean one time over there in, in Japan, and I'm telling you it feels like a thousand knives are going in your body when it's that cold out there. Remember back in 1912, April, Southampton, England, the vessel that was supposed to be the greatest Olympic-class vessel that had ever been made, the Titanic launched, made its way to France, Ireland, picking up people, then it's got to make its way to New York. They say that captain had over 40 years of experience. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how much experience you have, there's some storms, your experience just doesn't help you if you've never dealt with that before. Four decades of experience this individual had. And the, the, the interesting thing about that story to me is they had at least six different occasions where the warnings came to them and said there are icebergs and ice packs that were out here. But the people who were receiving the cables and the messages, they weren't part of the crew. They weren't sailors. These were privately contracted people to do nothing more than relay messages back and forth for the passengers. So there was a lot of info that wasn't getting through. The people who were up in the crow's nest, supposed to be out there looking for what's up ahead, somehow through a mix-up, they didn't even have binoculars when they left from where they were. Then finally, they hear somebody yell, there's an iceberg up ahead, and then just when they make the adjustments to try to get out of the way, a glancing blow, and then five or six of the compartments are suddenly flooded by all of the water. Here's the thing, though. You've got a a boat with 3,500 people on it. It's the middle of the night. That water is five, six degrees below zero. You've got first-class cabins that would probably be, at that time, $4,700, a cabin, probably be the equivalent today of $100,000 for first-class cabin, second-class passengers that had pretty nice rooms also, and even third-class passengers that probably were staying in rooms that were better than the homes that they had back at home. But the, the captain and the other people, because everything was about status, They knew what was taking place. There are only 68 lifeboats on there. It wasn't designed to carry 3,500 people. They just thought they'd have 68 boats to ferry people to one place, then come back, pick up another group, and ferry them to another location. But when they realized that everybody's running to the top and the possibility that it was going to go down, people started jumping in those boats. And can you believe that they sent some of those Sailors down to the third-class area to seal them off down below, so that they couldn't even come up top. Yeah, terrible. 11:40 at night that collision took place. Two and a half hours later, as people are out there in those lifeboats and it's cold, folks are shivering. They're watching that fire from that vessel. They're watching that thing begin to tip. I mean, one survivor said that she could hear the band at some point playing that song, Nearer My God to Thee. They even carved those words on the tombstone of the band leader, the head musician from that, once they finally got back to, to shore. Well, can you imagine being out there in those boats, and you're watching back of that vessel as it tips or watching as it just, you know, things getting ready to capsize or something there. And and as you're sitting out there watching that, you just start seeing people jumping off of the boat. And then finally the thing submerges. Once it submerges, you hear all kinds of screams, all kinds of yelling. It it, it broke my heart to, to read about how the folks on the boat They just buried their hands in their face. Some of them tried to cover their ears because the cries were so great. They wanted to save them, but if they went close enough, all the people would have swam right to where they were, got in, and sunk them all. So they ended up having to stay just far enough away where the people couldn't reach them. That vessel, because of all of the stuff in it, equipment, furniture, other items, They say when that thing sunk down, the buoyancy of some of that stuff was shooting up from the bottom to the surface so fast that it was dismembering people, knocking people out. People were screaming. And one survivor said that after more than an hour of hearing these people scream, said the last sounds they heard was from a man floating in the water just simply saying, my God, my God. Then it went quiet. Then after that, the only thing that broke the deadening silence was the sounds of the survivors weeping and crying because of how many they lost. Folks, you can be the best swimmer in the world, but you're not going to do too much out there. Something like that, see? Something like that. There are some storms where people have to call on God. They said some small group of people down in that third-class area somehow broke free from that section to get up to the top. They said down in that third-class dining room, there were people that had gathered in a circle with a preacher and just started praying, calling on God. Folks, an atheist would call on God in a situation like that. You need help. There's some circumstances, and I reiterate, there's some circumstances that are so great that will cause you to call on God, and definitely if you need him, you'll do that. You will call on God and ask him to arise and help you in the midst of your circumstances. Now think of this story again. All the disciples are out here. They're trying to get the water out of the the vessel. As far as they're concerned, they think they're going to die. That's what they believe. And if you've ever been that, that afraid before, where you, you honestly believe that at this moment I could pass away, it'll make you, it'll make you think differently about what you're doing. I've been on airplanes before when you're flying and you hit an air pocket and, and you think you've dropped maybe two or three feet. You probably dropped about 15 to 20. You Hit that air pocket and it just goes on. I've seen people that have been sleeping they just wake up and just, Jesus, Lord, help us. Just like that. Out of a dead sleep, I've seen them do that. These disciples did everything they could, and then they came up with an idea. Maybe we should go and wake up the Lord. Good idea. Good idea. Yeah. And Jesus was down there asleep, as it says. And listen to the question. The last sentence of verse 38. Master, do you not care that we perish? Every time I read that, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that that they're fearful. I'm just surprised at the way they indicted God as though God didn't care about them. See, Lord, my my situation is so bad. Our circumstances are so terrible. We're falling apart here. We're about to die. Do you do you not even care about us? Now, there are people who do that every day. God, do you even care about me? Do you see? The storm that I'm in right now, my marriage is on fire. I'm submerged in bills. I'm swamped with one bad relationship after another. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. Don't you even care, God. That's what's going on here. And the Lord, he gets up in verse 39. He doesn't rebuke them. He goes up and rebukes the waves, the wind. He says, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm now he does have a question for them and it is why are you afraid how is it that you have no faith what was that what was it that I said to you before we got on this boat verse 35 let us pass over to the other side Peter have I ever lied to you Matthew have I ever misled you Thomas have I ever said anything to give you a reason to doubt me I said we're going to pass over to the other side it doesn't matter how much These winds howl. What does that have to do with what I said to you? If I told you we're going over to the other side, it doesn't matter if the earth quakes and opens up and swallows all this water. We'll survive. That's the key: to know that when God has promised you something, and when God is reaching out to to care for you, to love you, to protect you, to preserve you, then you got to get your eyes off the storm. Remember the story about Peter when. He was in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water and and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. Let me come out of the boat and get on the water and walk with you. And the Lord said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking to Jesus and everything's good. And then when he got his eyes on the storm, you remember the story says, then he sank. Now, he's a fisherman. I don't have a doubt he probably can swim but the best of his ability in that middle of that storm wasn't going to help him because he obviously needed rescue because Jesus reached down and grabbed him see when fear comes sometimes we need somebody to reach down and grab us and help us but but here's the thing we laugh at peter and some preachers mock peter but at least peter did walk on the water yeah the only other person to do it was Jesus but at least peter was able to walk on the water, even if it was only for 30 seconds. That's a lot longer than some of us in here would be able to make it on that water. Yeah. So don't indict God when a difficulty comes, but let God stand up on your behalf, and then when the peace comes, then just kind of step back and say, oh, my Lord, what manner of man is this? What kind of God is this that we serve that loves us this much? That he'll preserve and protect us. Now notice the last sentence of verse 36 again. And there were also with him other little ships. Other little ships. Now these other little ships that were following him, they no doubt went through the same storm. Yeah. You know what the difference is? They didn't have Jesus on board. So if the disciples were falling apart and they could at least go get Jesus, how do you think these other folks were? In the other vessels everything falling apart and they don't have anybody to run to and they're trying to figure out what's going to take place and how it's going to work out and how they're going to survive but when when it's all over they endured it. and i'm, I'm sure they were trying to figure out i wonder what has happened because they probably didn't hear jesus speak to the storm in the middle of it they probably weren't even able to see what was going on in the other the other vessel so i wouldn't want to be a ship on my own without the lord in the vessel. I wouldn't want to be the the pilot of my own ship. I wouldn't want to be the captain of my own crew. I'd rather have God to lead and guide me. But there are a lot of people that want to be in total control of their own life. And it goes back to what I said earlier, that all of us, to some degree or another, we like control. We want to be able to manipulate our circumstances. And if we can't control what's taking place then, then for us men, where there's so much pride, we just, we just fall apart. It's just how are we going to do this? I mean, I'm supposed to be the, the bread winner. and I'm supposed to be the one that does all of these things. But, but there are some things in life where if, if the ship's going through a storm, you've you got to give this thing to, to God. Yeah, I mean, you do everything you can to keep it afloat, but at some point you've got to keep, keep your eyes on the Lord. Jesus asked the question and said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you don't have any faith? They feared exceedingly. They started off, they were afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of the fact that the Lord has so much power. Even the wind and the sea obey him. So there are no circumstances in life that are outside the power and the control of God. In your life and mine. Nothing at all. You may think there's an area over here that God doesn't have control over, but I can promise you he's still God. He's, he's got control over, over these things. And this is definitely what this passage teaches, that all of creation is subject to him. He can speak a word, and then the sun is going to stand still for Joshua when Joshua goes and fights. It's not going to change at all. The Lord can cause an axe to float in the water like he did for the prophet. In the Old Testament, he can do it. The Lord is able to take the waters that are in the valley and from one side, it just looked like regular water, but he can cause the enemies to look at the same water and they see blood. It's like it happened in the Old Testament. He's a, he's a miracle God. So how, how has God been able to work in your life and to preserve your vessel? You know, When you come through different storms. I'm sure we've all had moments and times where We've wanted to ask questions to God and say, Lord, how is this ever going to work out? How can you do this for me? But by just giving it to God, that's the key. You know that, 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 that beautiful hymn, uh, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sea, sinking to rise no more but the master of the sea, heard my despairing cries from the waters, lifted me now safe. Am I? Love lifted me. That's the song. So if God has lifted you up and preserved you and kept you, then make sure you give glory to him in every circumstance. Yeah. There are always going to be other little ships. Yeah. Other little ships. We just got to tell as many people as we can to make sure that if if you're going to be doing your own thing, at least do your own thing following Christ. Follow him. I don't want to be doing anything that's going to lead me to sail further and further away from him. The blessing, the peace, the calm comes from following God. And all over this earth today, there are people that are unhappy with their lives. And I know that that void could be filled if they knew the Lord. And the reason they have this emptiness and they're searching and they're doing all of these different things is because they don't know the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's a peace to knowing the Lord. Peace comes. He speaks a word. Peace with God. And the peace of God. How can you rest in the middle of difficult circumstances? The peace of God. How can you sleep well at night when other people can't sleep? The peace of God. And that's something that God can give. And that's not something anybody else can give. The scripture says God gives his beloved sleep. Yeah. He gives it to him. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's have a word. Father, we just thank you for evening's devotion, just knowing how great and mighty and how strong and how powerful you are. When you look at each one of us that are here tonight, Lord, you can see the direction that our vessels are sailing in, but we need you to be the pilot in the seas in which we're moving. God, we're here tonight because we love you, we honor you, we praise you, and we bless your wonderful name. Jesus' name.